You're listening to the Spread the Word 2017 London Short Story Prize podcast, produced by MA Publishing students at London College of Communication. Elle Eccles spoke to Dylan Brether, whose story, The Moon We Drown In, was highly commended in the competition. Dylan told Elle about her experience of writing. I work as a freelance journalist and copywriter, so I write most days. In terms of fiction, about three years ago, I started a novel, and I'd promised myself when I began that I would actually finish it. I didn't want the classic half-finished novel sitting on a computer somewhere. So I did finish it. I wrote two drafts of it over two years, and when it was done, I didn't like it. (laughs) So I decided to start writing short fiction as a way of trying to contend with the things that I felt like had gone wrong in my novel before trying to start another. And The Moon We Drown In was the second one that I wrote. Do you think you'll go back to the novel? Not the novel that I finished, but I will start a second novel at some point in time when the pain from the first one has passed. What other stories came out of that, came out of that endeavor as you were writing The Moon We Drown In? Well, I started trying to write a few different ones, I think, after I'd finished my novel, and I had a number of different ideas, and I think they're probably all about a similar character, just kind of put it in different circumstances. So I'm not sure really whether the idea has spawned other ideas. I think it was probably more the consequence of an original idea. Was Shen the character? Yeah, it's kind of driftless person, I guess, who's got a little bit stuck. Would you say that you relate to Shen in any way? Oh yeah, definitely. (laughs) I think that kind of aimlessness is a thing that a lot of people can relate to, and it's certainly been true for me as well. It's an easy thing to kind of carry on and suddenly look around you and not understand where you are. Putting his glass to the side, Shan stared down the quiet laneway beside the German bar. All of it looked strange, old and new at the same time, familiar but different. There wasn't much to see, only a neglected apartment block and one small home-style restaurant. In front of the apartment, a few parched bushes were waving listlessly in the breeze. The feeling of strangeness came from the moon, he realized, its light like a bud of cotton that had grown too ripe and burst. Looking at the grey valleys and craters of the lunar face, Shan felt something catching in his chest. When Chen was little, he used to act out the story of the jade rabbit who lived in the moon, how Ho Yi, the archer, had earned the elixir of immortality, and how his wife Chang'e drank the elixir to save it from a thief. After Chang'e drank the potion, she flew to the moon where she found a jade rabbit who prepared the elixir every night, pounding the herbs that kept her alive. Oh, Yi, Shan would say, impersonating Chang'e, how lonely I am without you. Then he would walk around the room rubbing his arms. How big the moon is, how grey and how cold. Shan raised his hand to his eyes and pretended to see the jade rabbit. What is it that I see, he would cry, so beautiful and filled with grace. She'll end up being strange like you if you're not careful, Hong had warned him. But Chen loved the story, and, with the fierce insistence of small children, refused to have it changed. It isn't right, she would insist. Tell it the way you always do. The story of the jade rabbit, Chen thought, belonged to both of them, so smooth and perfect that it no longer seemed to have individual parts. It was like a ball he could pick up and hold, one that he and Chen passed back and forth between them. Do you want to explain a bit about the story and how you describe it to other Mm -hmm. people? It's really difficult to try and summarize. I guess I'm interested in stories that don't really have much happen in them. And I think it would probably be fair to say that that is true of this story as well. I mean, it's about a man who's living in a place that he doesn't understand well. And in a way, I think that probably suits him. I think that would probably be true anywhere. He has a problem with his daughter, I would say less a product, less because of 
where he's living and more because of who he is. And I'd say the problem that he has is that they're a similar kind of person. And the only resolution really that's available, I guess, is recognizing himself in her. And because I guess he's a bit of an egoist, it's kind of the thing that knocks him out of himself. That's probably what the story is about. Only it's set in China, which sounds really incidental from my description of the plot, but <laughs> I didn't mean it to be. I used to live in Beijing and I taught English there. I remember not long after I'd moved to the city, I met this older American guy who'd been living there since the 80s. And he told me that he felt like he'd lived in three different cities over the years. And it just kind of stuck with me, especially because you have this foreign guy who doesn't really belong there anyway, living through this really shifting time period. And I was curious, I guess, what kind of person that would produce. That's really interesting, because I was wondering about what kind of inspirational influences mm -hmm. you had while writing this story. Did you have any others? When I was living in Beijing as well, I watched this kind of uncomfortable exchange between an older and Western guy and a Chinese news anchor on English language CCTV. And it was similar to the kind of incident that I had in my story where the, the older Western guy was complaining about all you know these young English teachers coming here and how they didn't respect Chinese culture the way that they used to when they first came over in the 1980s. And then he turned to the news anchor and he went, you know, but I'm Chinese like you. And they both laughed and I thought, oh, this is kind of uncomfortable. So I guess it was him combined with the older American man and something that happened to me, which didn't make it into the story, but probably in terms of atmosphere was more influential really than either of those. I used to go drinking at a bar in central Beijing. It wasn't in like the bar district, it was a bit outside of it, but it was still really downtown. There was never anyone there, there was never a single person in the bar, it was really odd. And it was such a like a starkly urban environment, but it was so quiet and such a kind of lonely place. And I remember sitting there one night outside and I saw this white stoat. It was so bizarre because there's no wildlife in Beijing, it's just like this big urban place, even more so than London. And it was so eerie, it was such a strong sense of dislocation to see this thing that just looked like it didn't belong there, but had been there before any of us or any of the things that had been built around it. And I guess that kind of dislocation was the atmosphere that I wanted to bring to the story. What drew you to that bar? It was quiet. <laughs> the beer was cheap. <laughs> So how long did you actually work on this story? How long did it take you to finish? I'm not actually sure. I finished the second draft of my novel in September, so it must have been after September, and then I worked on it quite a bit, I think pretty solidly probably from October to whenever the deadline was for the short story contest. I might even have started a little bit earlier, I'm not sure, but I edited it a lot, that I do, that I do remember. Do you edit as you go, or do you let yourself just free write and then edit mm. afterwards? I don't usually write them chronologically. I write different parts of the stories and then kind of go back and fill in the blanks. I usually seem to end up with the middle first, which is kind of inconvenient. I edit the sections as I finish them, and then I change them as I add other sections if they don't make sense anymore, which is really often the case. So do you outline it first, then? No. You no. just know how it goes. I think you have an idea. It's just not really a didactic idea, right? It's this kind of ambiguous thing, and because it's an ambiguous thing, it gets an ambiguous form. And I guess you're just trying to kind of build on that initial idea. And then eventually, you know, at some point it needs to have a structure, otherwise it'll be horrifying to read. So I feel like I end up with this kind of lump <laughs> and I go back and impose features on it. Would you say that you discover the story as you write? I would say I discover what I mean. I think there's like, there's an impulse and eventually you sort of decide how that impulse is going to articulate itself and it takes, takes time. What made you decide to submit to Spread the Word? Well, I'd heard of them 
before I volunteered with them for the um, short story festival. It must have been a couple of years ago now. And it seemed like a good organization and the people there were nice. I was one of the shadow readers for the Bailey's Prize with them. So that's how I'd heard of the London Short Story Contest. And I knew it was coming up around the time that I was finishing this story. And I just kind of thought, you know, why not? <laughs> I just don't really have any reason to not to not send it in. So I did. And I'm glad I did now. Would you submit again? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> For sure. I was really surprised when it did well. I mean, part of the reason, I mean, why I submitted is that I wanted an artificial deadline to make myself finish something because I'm fully capable of just equivocating into the void forever. And so, yeah, when I heard back, I was like, oh, oh my God, <laughs> I was so happy. So, yeah, of course, I'll submit again.